Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has four years of law enforcement analysis experience with 11 years of law enforcement experience overall. He was a GIS supervisor and crime analysis supervisor for Houston Police Department. He is now the lieutenant of the Gang Division Crime Reduction Unit, here to talk all about GIS at the police department. Please welcome Lieutenant Frederick Croft. Freddie, how are we doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Jason? I am doing very well. Thank Good. you for joining me today. So, Thanks for having me. So how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? So it was kind of, I fell into it. I had worked at HPD for about five years. I just promoted to sergeant and it was right around the time Harvey hit Houston. So anybody familiar with that major disaster? I, I was working at one of our divisional units as just a patrol sergeant. And when Harvey hit, you know, the first days I was helping with rescue operations and whatnot, but then I was put in charge of one of our forward command posts. And at the time, you know, we were doing, trying to coordinate a lot of different operations with different task forces and all the resources that came in. And the commander that I had out at that division was a uh, pretty happy, I guess, with the job I had done there. And we had a vacant crime analysis position. And so he approached me and asked, well, hey, you know, you showed that you can manage projects and you're diligent on your, your duties. So would you be interested in taking that over? And, uh, and I'd done analysis before, way back in, before I was a police officer, I was a database analyst for a credit union. So I, and I've always been pretty I guess, decent with computers and computer systems. You know, I, I, was, I was pretty good with Excel and had exposure to access, done like web design and things like that. So I was like, okay, well, you know, that's something that I could maybe do well in. So I went and talked to the officers that were over that unit and it was a, it was a well-established unit. It was pretty well maintained. I mean, I guess I should kind of explain how HPD works. We have a centralized crime analysis that provides strategic analysis for the whole department, but then each division has their own crime analysis units embedded in them. And they're more on the tactical side, um, providing, trying to find suspects for cases in that area. They, they do some statistical reporting where they're given stats to the commander. But anyways, it was a real well-oiled unit. They, they had a lot of experience and uh, they just, they needed a supervisor to help keep them on track, I guess. And so I fell right in there. That's kind of how my journey into crime analysis and then later GIS started was there was an opportunity for it and I, I jumped at it. All right, good. We just had Barry Fosberg on last week. And so he's more of the strategic side of yes. things. And then a couple months ago, I had Jim Mallard on. He's doing his supervisory yeah. thing as well, talking about that. And then you're going to come in here and more of the tactical side. And so what are some of the tasks that you're doing as you're, you're starting out at, at the crime analysis unit? Yeah. So the crime analysis unit at the division, uh, we, every day we did a report on all the crimes that happened to the day before. And so we had three, our unit was three officers and myself, and we basically, we were, it was the, I think the first or second largest division within HPD is geographic area, but also crime. It was one of the, the top three it, bounced around as far as violent crime. And so we read through all of the reports that happened the day before, looking for any type of leads, looking for any type of possible suspects or matching MOs on previous crimes, 
And we would try to get that out to our tactical units who came in a little bit later in the day. So we would try to get products for them and, and leads that they could just hit the ground running with before they came in. So that was our day-to-day function, but we were tasked with all kinds of different things. We, we prepared the monthly, weekly reports for the commander's meetings, and but we had a lot of free time. And so that's where I really, well, I had a lot of free time as a supervisor. The officers were always pretty busy, but <laughs> so I, that's where I kind of fell in was kind of taking over new projects or anything that was assigned. And at the time, our department really wasn't utilizing GIS very much. Uh, we had we had an enterprise system where we had a portal and we had access to an ArcGIS online system through the, our partner with the city, but they were still working out the bugs with it. The server deployment wasn't really how they wanted it to be. And so really GIS at that time was just used for just mapping, you know, static maps. And I started really trying to to create like automated systems and and trying to get them online because you know we had all of our systems which a lot of police departments are is behind our firewall we had it on on our own servers so we could create these applications that the officers could uh, access in their cars but nobody had done it really yet they were mm-hmm. it was still a new technology and so that's kind of where I hit the ground running was was trying to get these systems to where we could deliver these reports or these, you know, the analysis done where they could access it on their own time rather than having to come to us and asking all the time. It's like, here it is. You can do it yourself. Prepared for you. Mm. I don't know if I got off track on that. No, no, that's, <laughs> no, that's, that's good. Just a couple of follow-up yeah. questions though. So you mentioned that your unit would come in a little bit early than mm-hmm. the rest. So what time would you normally start and when did the rest of them start? So our unit, we, some of the guys would get in around 6 a.m. Some, uh, mm-hmm. One of them would be seven. And I was around seven. And in any given day in just our area, we would have 10 to 15 robberies. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, Houston's a busy place, a lot of mm-hmm. crime. I'm huge geographic areas. I mean, just our, our West side command station that I was at was well over 300 officers. So we were, ta- our, our division spread around maybe 10% of the city. So there were over 500 square miles. So, I mean, just our area alone was, you know, 40 to 50 square miles. So we had a lot of area to cover a lot of patrol officers that were working those areas. So we would get in early and read through all those reports. And a lot of those reports were, you know, sent out in word format. Uh, We would try to do mapping. We would try to find, especially if there was something like sexual assaults would a lot of times have similar MOs, or or if you have a a serial offender, you would have um, look for patterns. And so we would, we would keep those reports in our own little file folder. (laughs) And, uh, you know, anytime we had something new prop up, we would, and each officer was assigned a certain crime type at our division so that they were really familiar with the stuff going on and try to link up repeat offenders. And we, you know, if cars were stolen, we would run through NVLS to see if they were still stolen, try to find areas that they were last reported at. Just, just trying to give the guys that came in at the the attack units would come in around 10, trying to give them a a running start on their day. Now, when the data comes in, does it automatically have location information attached to it? So it's either a lat long or, or something that you can easily identify where it happened on a map? Yeah. So we've, and that's, I'm not sure if Jim or, or Jim, or really Jim would have been the one to talk about it, but mm-hmm. at that time, and like I said, our GIS infrastructure was just setting up. We had most of the crime analysis that was done, and it still is the case at our divisional levels is through individual crime databases through access. So officers will hit the tables and they would just pull in crime in their area and access it that way. We would a lot of times use our RMS to look through cases because you could you know, query crimes that have been started, reports that have been made in the last 24 hours and by crime type. And so that's how most of the division analysts 
would get their crime information and, and look through stuff. They weren't at that time. Nobody was really using GIS. It was just, uh, well, they were using it just to make the map, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of the data, it did have XY data. We were at the time use, I, I don't know how in the weeds you went to get on the technicals, but we were <laughs> using like state plane projections okay. and it was based on a geo, uh, like a 10 year old geocoder that would try to find location. So a lot, there was a lot of issues with data integrity and how good it was. It, probably like 10% of the crimes wouldn't have uh, locations attached oh, okay. and wouldn't have it. So if you wanted to map those out, you had to actually geocode them yourself. So at the time, that was a big problem. Mm-hmm. We've since, that was one of the big tasks that when Jim came in was revisiting all that. And, and I was part of that later when I was on the GIS unit, we had a big project of uh, working with multiple different groups in our department, fixing uh, or at least cleaning up the data, getting it better, creating new tables that officers could hit. But yeah, we, we most officers really didn't use GIS or, or mapping products aside from just heat maps, you know, density, kernel density maps to show like monthly hotspots. That was really the, the only use for it at the time. So then, as you mentioned, you start developing products to push to the cars. Mm-hmm. And now at this time, had there already been an established communication between pushing data to the cars? Or is that something that you had to establish as well? No, that was a, a new thing. So it kind of like all the timing was just worked out really well, where we were redeploying our enterprise deployment of the GIS system. Uh, we have we use Esri. We're an Esri shop. Our city is. So they were redeploying this, the the servers because we had issues where mainly connection issues, lag issues, latency issues, where it just really didn't work that well. So at first, a lot of it was just kind of like pr- uh, testing ideas, seeing what was possible. So we would, I think at that time, the only thing we had was like a live feed in the last 30 days of crime. But even that was unreliable just because of the, the server issues. And so nobody had done it really. I mean, it literally, every, the only thing that people used was like Arc, or well, really at the time it was Arc Map. Um, that was around the time that Arc Pro was starting to get used. And yeah, I, I think I made, I, the first application I made was mapping out apartments and I, it's one that I would talk about later, but mapping out the apartments so that officers could see gate codes in their car. That was like my first test trial of, okay, can this work? Would this be usable in the cars? And when that happened, it kind of, I guess, was the spark for a lot of different applications. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. okay, this stuff is possible. What else can we get in the cars? What else can we get to the officers? And then okay. once, and then at that exact, pretty much at the exact same time, our servers were redeployed. Everything was working really well. And it was just like a race at that point. Are you using the Esri system to do the communication or is there a separate software that does that? Yeah. So we pretty much use Esri's suite for a lot of different things. We have a a portal, which is for anybody that doesn't know, it's basically like an ArcGIS online account, but it's set up on your own servers. And so we push a lot of things to that. And then that, I mean, it has a web server. We've created a, it has a front end hub where you can host your premium applications that you made or web maps that you make. And that's how most of the officers get it. You know, we have, we put hyperlinks to the portal on everybody's desktop, on all the MDTs and the cars so that they can access them there. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, we use Esri's, I guess, software to deliver most of the stuff. Now we've actually changed some of our business models with GIS where we've tried to move towards .NET applications or SSRS to answer some of the more, you know, report style 
solutions that officers want, you know, like our, our crime analysts in the field, they, they pulled out every single day. Well, it's like, oh, do they need a, do they need a dashboard application to see the crime or would it be just as good give them a SSRS download where they can query their data there and then download the Excel and manipulate it as they want outside. So we, we've changed some of our, our style, but those are the two main ways is either through a GIS web application or an SSRS report. Yeah. So, but even the GIS application, it's not just location data that you're pushing out. It's all oh, no. sorts right. of data. Is it, you know, pictures and graphs and charts and dashboards? Yeah. So we have, I mean, I've done some demos with Esri. We did uh, one of their, I think it's called like HPD going beyond crime analysis with GIS. We did a, a demo on some of the different applications we've made. And like I said, it was a race. Once we had deployed the new I had all these ideas. I was like, well, we can map this out. We can do this. We can, we can, we can answer this question. So, you know, the first one we made was, uh, or that, that was the first one I made was the apartment. We just call it the apartment web app, but it, it had, I started out just mapping out the, the apartments in my area. It was, a, it was to solve a problem that I had on patrol. So to step back a little bit, when, I, when our area in the west side of town has a ton of large multifamily dwelling apartments, somewhere along the lines of two to 300 and just mm-hmm. our area. And then across the city, we have well over a thousand multifamily dwelling complexes ranging from, you know, small little townhomes to huge apartment complexes that span three different addresses and multiple blocks. So one of the problems I always had on patrol was getting into those locations. You know, the gate codes change all the time. Ownership changes. Who's the management? Where do you, you know, where are the units at? And so I wanted to, uh, most of the officers would, or at least I did, would keep like a a text document in their own little on their own desktop that would just have the gate codes to apartments because our CAD would get out of date and to get mm-hmm. that updated would take time and there was like a process. So most officers just resigned to keeping a, notes on themselves what the what the gate code is. And so with this software, you know, it was allowed it to be editable. You could say, okay, these these features were editable, these aren't. And so I was like, well, what if we mapped out all the apartments? and made it so the officers could change the gate codes. And that was kind of the first idea. And it was just for my division. And then it was, okay, well, if I'm making it for my division, it's not that big of a stretch to just map out all the apartments. Because, <laughs> well, at first I was going to like, all right, let's see if I can just physically map them out. And then it was too many. And so I started going down the rabbit hole of, okay, how do I, how do I get this? And the solution was getting the partial data from the city. And by the uh, land use code, I was able to to find what multifamily codes were. And that's how I mapped them out. I just basically extracted all the multifamily parcels and made those, you know, put those on a map. And at first it was just gate codes. And then I started talking to some of our other divisions at the at the station. And they, you know, there was a, a unit that was in charge of enforcement at apartments and inspection. And so they wanted to have things like, when was the last time I was inspected? Who's the manager? And then after we got into talking to multiple different units, we had about 15 different attributes we started tracking, you know, whether it had a trespass affidavit on file. And then the nice thing is, is because we had this little joint operation going, the unit that was in charge of inspecting or at least doing site visits would go out and get physical copies of the maps for the locations. And then we would have, we would scan those and attach those to the files so that at night, you know, you're driving out to that apartment, you can just click on it and see a high resolution um, map of the apartment. So you're not having to try to find the apartment and things like that. And then we included like officer notes so they could put in short-term officer safety notes. You know, this person was hostile or this person made threats or something like that. Just something that you wanted to share on the short-term, but didn't necessarily need to be on the location history forever. So looking back then, what were some lessons learned as you (laughs) set this thing up? And as you said, it just opened the floodgates. 
Yes. So with the, with that project in particular, the lesson I learned was documenting your work process, you know, cause I, <laughs> I had done this cause I found, you know, of course, when you start messing with other people's data, you start finding all these weird quirks. And I found that like the condos, the apartments were one parcel, but then the condos, because of the way the city stored their parcel data, they would, the place had 50 units. They would have 50 identical polygons all on top of each other. So oh. I found that out. Cause yeah, I was like, <laughs> okay, I should have 200 apartments yet. I'm having, it was something like 10,000 features in my area. I'm like, okay, something's up. And then I found the condos would just have hundreds of them. And then, so, you know, I would start using the tools in art pro and I was still a novice at that point. And so I, you know, I'd try one tool. It didn't work. Try another tool. It didn't work. Try another tool. And then it's like, okay, good. I, I was able to merge them down to one. And then months later I was trying to redo the process. And I was then again, having to figure out which tool I used. So, so I learned pretty quickly there, the, the importance of documenting your workflows when you're doing a, a project. As far as the deployment of the system as a whole, we, it was, it was always, you know, we, me and uh, the manager on the GIS unit, his name's Patrick Alexander. We, we always equated it to, we were starting a small business, like an IT consulting business <laughs> with the GIS unit. Cause we would go around and create these applications for all these different units, you know, mental health, trying to allow them to map out uh, locations of uh, homeless encampments. We would do, there was a group that was mapping out schools and they wanted to do active school shooter responses, like, you know, pre-planned I plans for like, okay, where should we stage our command post? Where can life light land, you know, and those type of events. And so one of the things that we learned pretty quickly is the importance of like, of having a, a set of an established workflow, I guess, and checkboxes, you know, every application, we, we started branding our applications so that you could tell them apart from other analysts who were making things. We were uh, make sure that our, you know, our legend was always styled in the same way, just making sure that the experience across applications was similar so that anybody could open a new application. They were familiar with what they were seeing. That was something we, we learned pretty early on. I'm, I'm thinking what was maybe a more complex project you worked on with this is something that really took some effort. Maybe there was an issue with the data. Maybe it was just how it was requested that you had to push out to the cars. Yeah. So, I mean, we have, I'm trying to think specifically, because I mean, every project had its own challenges. I would say one of the biggest projects, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, this wasn't some like revolutionary project that made everybody's, you know, answered all the crime. It's all all the crime. But when COVID hit, and I think I'm sure we've had many guests talk about COVID, but when COVID hit, we, of course, were, were caught in a kind of like a hurry up and catch up phase at the beginning on how do we really get a grasp on how this is affecting us, how this is affecting our city. And so, you know, in the early days, there was the, we had quarantines on officers that would travel, you know, that first few Mm -hmm. weeks where it was Mm -hmm. like, okay, who traveled and how long do they need to stay home? Who's symptomatic? Who's not symptomatic? Who's gotten tested? Who hasn't gotten tested? And so at the time, and this is where I talk about, we became like a IT consulting, you know, small business. But at the time I saw that like, Four different units in our department were all tracking COVID-related data, and a lot of it overlapped. So we had one unit that was supposed to track anybody who had traveled out of the country. We had one unit that was supposed to track anybody who had traveled inside of the country. And we had uh, one team that was tracking anybody who had symptoms. 
one team that was tracking everybody was sick. And so it created a lot of work. And I feel for the guys that are still over at the GIS unit since I've left because they're still (laughs) maintaining this behemoth of a project. But I was like, listen, a lot of this overlaps using, and they were, you know, they were doing it through Excel. They were doing daily emails, these Mm. these static, you know, (laughs) not using uh, sharing of files, not using a centralized. So, you know, it was, it was a ton of time out. It's a ton of manpower hours to, to track all this. And so I said, well, using the ArcGIS um, Survey123, which is smart forms, you know, Google Forms type deal. Mm-hmm. I said, using Survey123, we can create a smart form where they can pick what type of report they're doing, whether it's a travel or it's a sickness or it's an asymptomatic test. It can notify, you can put in what division, and then we can create a dashboard so our management can see, okay, from across the department in real time as officers in the field are reporting it, how many people are missing? When were they missing? How long have they, you know, how long have they been missing? Or is it over 14 days? Just getting a better grasp on like how it was affecting our department. And that one was, it was tricky because what happened is we, we hadn't really ever done the, the crowdsourcing of information. So we had to train about 200 officers quickly on how to use the software. And it wasn't, it's not super complex, but we had a, we had a backend application that would allow them to update the records. We had to teach them how to get in there and update it. Well, the standardization of the data entry, that's Correct, never, yes. that's never straightforward, right? No, There's no, just yeah. so many variables and how, how you enter them and what yes. the do's and don'ts and best practices practices and you're really establishing that on the fly because you haven't done it ever before. Correct. Yeah. And, and it helped because you can, you know, same with Excel, you can, you can set domains for your answers so they can only choose certain things. And so we did that, but it was, you know, we would set up the data first. We're like, here's how you, here's how we're going to collect it. And then a week later, like we need to track this data point and we need to do this. And, oh, this one's not working how we wanted it to. So it was, you know, we'd create a new, new layer with the right data points. <laughs> and then we would migrate all the data, but we had to make sure the data got migrated properly and make sure we didn't have any data loss. And, and then, and then of course, in a HPD, we have, there's a lot of internal movement. And so every day, a new officer would take over the role of the data entry for their division. So we're having to train them. And and then you run into licensing issues where, you know, you had to take away the license for one person and give it to another. So it just, from a project management perspective, it became a, a huge task. Yeah. So we learned going forward, we're probably going to, instead of taking on that role, we'll just be the people who report it. We'll, we'll farm it out to our tech services and they'll create like a, you know, a .NET application where it's all reported. Cause you know, the, the Esri software, a lot of it is behind paywalls. You know, you have to worry about licensing and whatnot, mm-hmm. especially if you want people to be editing data. And so we, you know, we, we only have a fight on amount of those licenses. So, you know, if you use a .NET and it's just feeding a, a table, we can, we can ingest that easy, you know, into a dashboard and show the management. But yeah, that was probably the biggest project, uh, yeah. probably the most headache. And it still is. I mean, there was a change recently to the way Esri allowed editing of data. It used to be, I had like this workaround that allowed anybody, if we set it up properly to edit data, and now it's, now it's behind a, a license. So now we have one guy that updates all the records which now it's not as big of a deal. I mean, you know, it's, we're kind of on the downslope of the bell curve with regards to COVID and mm-hmm. as far as its impact. But like during, during its peak, it was, you know, 10, 20 requests a day. And it was, <laughs> took a lot of time. Yeah, sounds like it, man. I, I'm going to table the, the conversation a little bit about GIS because I do want to finish up your history 
in law enforcement. You know, just like all police departments, you get promoted and then they're always switching these positions around, right? Yeah. So yeah. so you become lieutenant and then, oh, you got to rotate through. So everybody <laughs> gets their time in all the different units and whatnot. Yeah. So you transfer out and become the South Central Patrol Division night shift commander. And as I mentioned before, you are now the gang division crime reduction unit. Yeah. So I, I'm curious to know, in terms of what you learned during your time as both crime analysis unit supervisor and the GIS supervisor, what did you bring from what you learned to these new positions? Yeah. So as the night commander at South Central, having an exposure to the data and understanding how our data is captured helped me make arguments, especially with regards to staffing. And I'll give you a specific example. So one of the things that I'm sure a lot of analysts get is requests for, you know, how many calls and what hours of the day and what days of the week, you know, trying to see, okay, is our staffing set up properly to address the crime? And our divisional crime analysts sent out a report saying, okay, here's the, here's the calls, you know, night shift has 22% of the calls, evening shift has 46, they should, you know, whatever the numbers were. And, uh, and these are the days of the week that they're busy. Well, understanding how the, the data comes in and what it really means, you know, I, I did my own analysis on it. And one thing that happens a lot, and, and it's something I always harp on to new analysts is understanding how shifts work versus how crime happens. So, you know, if a, if a crime happens at 1am on a Sunday morning, for example, if you're just doing a dump of data, and that's counted as a Sunday crime. You know, that's a that's a that, that counts as all right. Sunday has one more one more incident, but really, that's a, a Saturday's night shift problem. So, if you're if you're trying to address your staffing, you have to adjust your your crimes based on the shifts that they happen, not the day of the week. So that was one thing. You know, they were they were trying to cut manpower on one of the days and move it to another day and. I had to make an argument saying, no, no, no. You know, if you do that, we're not going to, most of these crimes are happening between midnight and 3 a.m. That's the previous day's problem. And so Mm -hmm. that was one thing. And then also they would always account our evening shift as having the most crime, you know, and and that, and and the main reason is because people get home from work and they see that their house has been burglarized or they're getting into car accidents, you know, call volume happens, especially around rush hour and when people are getting home, Um, you know, it's just there's more people out. But what I, what we show is that a lot of those crimes were not, you know, the high priority crime. And a lot of those calls would be handled by night shift. And a lot of the calls happened near the shift change. And so, you know, I had to make the argument, okay, these crimes that are happening near the shift change, if you put more manpower on evening shift, it's not going to get run by those officers. Because a lot of officers, you know, when it gets close to the end of their shift, they're trying to finish out the reports, they're making sure their equipment's all done, they're, mm-hmm. they're turning in the stuff. So really, if, you know, if say the shift changes at 8 p.m. and a crime happens at 7.30, that's a night shift problem. You know, they're the ones that are going to run the call, unless it's like an in-progress event. So that was another thing, too, is I was able to make those, those arguments for my shift and my staffing to show, okay, this is the real picture. You know, you're, if you're not looking at it, the context of how police shifts work and how, you know, officers operate, you're going to, you're going to misallocate. And uh, so that just from the, the crime analysis standpoint, and then with the tools that I had, I've really been able to solve some problems that, that a lot of times were just, you know, done. And so I'll specifically, we have a lot of flooding in Houston, you know, Bayou city. Mm-hmm. 
And this year we actually had a freeze. And <laughs> so one of the things that we had planned after Harvey was, okay, well, we'll, we, we had a, a lot of the divisions created this, um, their little response plans to floods happen. Okay. Where, what roads do you need to shut down? But we had never really thought about freezing because that's not something that frequently happens down here. But, the, and so th- they were quickly trying to figure out, okay, well, where do we put the barricades? How do we keep track of it? Where are our officers? Where are frozen? And so using, we had a high water application app where officers could say, here's where it's flooding. So so I quickly that night just reworked some of the layers and included the ability to put frozen and then it included the ability to put like map out barricades and where fixed post assignments were. And so I took this, this word document, we had this word document that lived in a, a share drive that was like, here's where you should put people. And I quickly mapped it all out, put it in a web application, sent it out to the officers. And then they were able to put notes on things, you know, how many barricades are in places. So it just, it just allowed us to quickly spin up something for situational awareness. And then instead of having to send these, you know, emails saying with long addresses to our command center, we were able to just send them a hyperlink to that application and they could see in real time, the things that were updating. And uh, that was then updated after the event to, to be used by the whole city. So within South Central, those are two quick ones that, that I was able to impact operations quickly. And then, yeah, within the gang division, so my units, we we have six units. They're all proactive. It's one sergeant and anywhere between six to 10 officers, depending on manpower. And they are citywide. So they are tasked and they get moved around a lot. They They get tasked with anywhere that crime is surging. That's where they go. And so, you know, I trained our analysts up. We have, a, we had a new analyst over at the division. I trained them up on some of the, the pre-done software. You know, we have apps that show where recent crime hotspots are and whatnot. So uh, trained them up. But one of the things that we had a hard time doing was like tracking our stats and showing our work product. So I created a modified work card system for our guys to use that could be, uh, that show, okay, where they're making arrests, where they're operating. And then we would overlay it on some of the work product that Barry did to show like, okay, because Barry worked on one that showed crime patterns over the city um, within the last 12 months with, you know, different weights on recency and whatnot. And so I was able to overlay that to show, okay, here's where we're working. Here's where we need to focus. And uh, the best part about that tool is it actually, unlike like paperwork cards, I had where officers could put pictures and notes in. And so now that's acts as like a a free tech search to our, our analysts. So, you know, if they're in an area and they stop a car or whatnot, and they say, okay, we stopped this car, this was the driver or whatnot. Now analysts at the division can see that information instead of it just getting, you know, tucked away in some file folder. Nice. All right. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, I do want to dive into a little bit more about the evolution of GIS at the police department. And I want to talk about the civilianization of crime analysis at Houston PD. And then we'll get into your personal interest of uh, organizing extra jobs for officers. (laughs) All right. You're listening to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Barry Fosberg, the Senior Analyst with Houston Police Department. I'm here to do a PSA for regional associations. If you're an IACA or familiar with IACA, get in, find out if you have a local association. And if for no other reason your crooks don't know you have borders, your borders typically have other crime analysts, and this is a great way to know them by name. Hey there, this is Jessica Ellsmore. And this is your friendly daily reminder to remember why you started. Keep your passion, stay involved, and just remember what got you interested in crime analysis.
Welcome back, Freddie. What I want to talk about now is the really the evolution of GIS at the police department. When I was an analyst in the 2000s, you know, it's very much a GIS was a desktop software. Spent a lot of time geocoding. We spent a lot of times making maps, and that's what you use GIS for. And I'm really impressed with what Esri has been able to do to make this more of a solution, more than just maps. And so I want to get your perspective as somebody that came along, learned the craft of GIS, and really was able to create some really helpful products, as you've mentioned in the first half of this interview. So I just wanted to get your perspective and and talk a little bit about GIS in the police department. Okay. Yeah. So that's where where I can talk a lot for hours about. But, uh, <laughs> so the thing about, you know, I, I always kind of lump the whole Esri suite of, as GIS, but a lot of the tools that come with it are, have nothing to do with GIS. And so, and that's where the, the entire suite has really benefited us. So the first thing we did when we relaunched the enterprise system was we stood up a, a website. So Esri's the enterprise suite comes with a thing called sites and the ArcGIS Online version of that is called Hub, and it basically allows you to create a website, but that ties into your GIS data. So you can create widgets really easily. You can create, you can embed your dashboards. And so what we did is we we set out to create like a one-stop shop for everything. Because one of the hardest parts, I think, for analysts to really make an impact is getting their information into the hands of the people that need it or, or that can use it. You know, a lot of times we're sending out PDFs, you know, bolos, and we're creating these bulletins and sending through emails. And, and, you know, when you send things through emails, a lot of times it might not reach the target audience. It might not, it might just get lost in the noise. I mean, every day I check mine, I have a hundred emails, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's very easy that I miss one, uh, that something might be important. And so what we set out to do using the sites is create a website that had tailored experiences, depending on who our audience was. We had one section for patrol officers in their cars. We had one section for analysts at the station. We had one section for our command staff. And, and each one had targeted, tailored op, uh, you know, applications that were branded and that, um, that all followed similar styles. And so like the analyst application, for example, would have tools that allowed them to edit data or add new data or, or create, you know, create data, you know, hotspots or, 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 or areas that they wanted to push out. And then that would feed the applications for our our frontline officers or patrol officers. And so almost every application that we made through GIS had multiple iterations. We had one for the analyst that they could put their information in. We had one for the patrol that they could see a tactical level view of things that pertain to their area, you know, zoom in and really dive deep. And then we had one for our command staff that kind of showed overall trends. And so to me, you know, and that's not necessarily, I guess it is GIS, but it's more of if how you go about trying to deliver your products. If you're trying to create one bulletin and answer all the questions, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to create those custom tailored things for all the different audiences when, you know, GIS or at least web, web applications gives you that power. You know, and it's not, you know, some of our applications, we're using GIS just because it's the readily available tool. You know, some of our dashboards have no mapping component at all. We, we report our ComStat numbers, and it's literally just a bunch of cards that tie into the SQL data, um, SQL tables, and it's just telling you the crime trends. But we use Esri software because it, it's, A, it's 
easy to use. We're familiar with it and it plays well with all of our different systems. So that to me, more, you know, going past even just GIS, but it's just the having that system is, is game changing. You know, story, story maps we used as a way to do presentation tools. We use the surveys and the smart forms. And there are other systems that do that. You know, I mean, what is it? Microsoft has Microsoft forms. You have Google forms. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice because this is all a one-stop shop uh, or it's all, it's all stored in the same environment, you know, and, and we have control over it. And so now, for, for example, in our department, if you wanted to spin up a website, you had to get with our tech services and they used, I mean, it was, a, it was an old antiquated you know, user interface and you had to fit it in these certain parameters. Well, with, with the sites, we were able to create you know, rich websites where we had access to this, you know, the, the coding behind it. You know, we could input our own CSS, we could create our own graphics and, and embed images. And it, it, just, it just gave us a lot of tools that we didn't have before. And so that that really within HPD has been why, especially our GIS unit has been so successful is that we have all these tools that nobody had before, or that were always behind these silos, you know, that it's like, oh, we'll do it. You have to tell us and we'll do it for you instead of giving you, you know, giving you the tool to do it yourself and learn. So that's really been the, the evolution of GIS within HPD. And then tying all of these data sets that, that were static, or not static, but I mean that officers interacted with and then made these static reports and trying to make them into live feeds where, where officers can interact you know, with recent gun crimes and all of crime over the last 30 days. And then and basically what our unit would do is just, just go around and look and say, okay, what are y'all doing? Do y'all do y'all like the way you're doing your work? And if if so, then we you know we weren't looking for to solve problems that people didn't want solved. We always looked for people who knew that there was a better way to do things, just didn't know how. And so we had almost become like a you know consulting group for them. And sometimes the answer wasn't even our stuff. Sometimes it was getting them in touch with a programmer at a different division who could set them up a, a better database, or getting them with tech services, our technology group, to set them up a SQL database that they could store their information on. But we were able to like translate that from you know, we we just knew because we were working on these projects, we knew who they needed to get with. So we became like a you know just a helping or we we use the term an improvement agent you know (laughs) (laughs) nice nice so yeah and and you mentioned the three different ways of uh, persecting the data or separating out the data audiences yeah your audience is there but i mean you can even go further than that i mean you can go to the actual person logging in customizing that experience Mm -hmm. for him or her yeah yeah. and so it really gets down to allowing the end user to ask their own questions and get their own answers. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and we talked about that a little bit in, in the prep call about making sure that you're getting the right question and the right answer. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you've worked with data, it seems more than one day, you realize that all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, that's a different question. That's not what we were working on yesterday. Yeah. And so you get into that time and time again. So it's making sure like, okay, this is the question. This is the answer. We can still answer those other questions. But for right now, this is, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even within, I think every analyst has had the thing of where somebody asks you for something and, and maybe they're not asking the right question. And this is something I always, I always tell any analyst uh, that is starting out or that wants to like really hone their craft is learn 
to try to dig deeper. Don't just take whatever the request is and say, okay, here you go. You know, try to figure out what they're trying to accomplish. Try to figure out what problem they're trying to solve because some, a lot of people don't know how to ask the right question, especially, uh, you know, an officer asking a, an analyst. I mean, we have, we have discussions on, I've had topics with uh, Jim before on the importance of terminology, you know, and knowing how to ask the right question, even, even with Google, you know, you don't have, a, if you have a problem, me and Barry were hitting that the other day, um, <laughs> you, you were on there and we, he was trying to, we were trying to figure out a tool and, you know, Esri has their own terminology that is different than other places. And so we're sitting there trying to figure out the right way to Google the question so that we could find the answer, you know? <laughs> oh, but, I, oh, I get that when I'm so, trying to search for a file. Yeah, yeah. I have in my system. And I'm like, like, oh, what did I call it? There's got to be a word in there somewhere. I I know it's there, but I can't find it. That's really frustrating. Yeah. And so, you know, analysts, especially in in a large department, you know, you go through different commanders, different supervisors fairly frequently. And some will care about something, some won't. But it's it's having learning the ability to dig deeper and to get the the question of what are they trying to get rather than what are they asking for that's what that's what we always try to look for and then within the GIS unit ourselves and we've taken that approach and Jim has standardized a lot of things since he's been here with our data uh, of empowering the end user to answer the questions themselves you know not not making us the gatekeeper you know if they want to ask a simple question of hey what's the apartment crime over the last 30 days, it's like, that's, that's something that's, it's just a simple query. So if you can set up a tool that allows them to do it, well, you, now you're not getting those requests anymore. And, and when somebody goes to, especially if you like, we set up the sites page, if you set up a place that uh, there are a lot of tools, you say, here's one tool, you know, and they're like, oh, that answered my question. And then they start looking around and they see a lot of other answers, you know? And and so there's some people who you're never, you're never going to to engage, but Mm -hmm. you know, you can send out your bulletins and they're going to say, great, you know, but there are people who want that information. There are people who want to, to, to take it to the next level. And it's, you know, cre- if you can create a place where they can get those answers themselves, rather than having to figure out who to ask and getting a, you know, a week delay on stuff that, that, that's been really powerful for us. Yeah. One of the things I, I like about the the GIS solution that you described is it brings in the ability to turn it into a living document Mm -hmm. to get input from various folks. So you can come back later and review that yeah, and get different input. And so when you come back, even if it's years later, (laughs) you search, search that like, okay, this is a similar type tasks how did we what were the growing pains what were we dealing with last time mm-hmm. and I, I i really impressed with that ability to put for folks to put in notes and just to document their experience yeah especially with certain things are hot topic issues for a little bit of time and then they kind of die down you know and then something else becomes the the big hot topic issue but the nice part is when you're storing these you know, data points and these notes in systems like this, rather than just in a, in a static report is that when it becomes, because, you know, everything comes in cycles. We care about floods when there's a flood and then it becomes, you know, a couple <laughs> months later, something else becomes the hot. Topic. Becomes a freeze, right? Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a freeze, <laughs> you know, but you know, we, one of the things that we decided was if we can, we should leverage our 5,000 officers to help us be the, almost like crowdsourcing information gathering that you wouldn't get before. You know, where's flooded? Where's frozen? Because if you can start getting that information, you can plan better next time. And that's something we, we do with our flood is our flood 
applications is that, you know, these places that flood every single time, well, let's put barricades nearby, you know, before it happens. And, and we have a really good working relationship with other city departments within the GIS realm. And so we have, we have kind of like an in with those, de- the, those departments. So like our public works, who's in charge of a lot of the barricades and the dump trucks and whatnot, you know, we feed directly, they share it with us. We feed directly into where their dump trucks are and, the, and their barricades are, and then we'll push information to them. And so having this, having these like living documents that allow you to go back and do analysis after the fact, when you're doing the after action report, instead of trying to guess, you know, that was a big thing with Harvey. It's like, we're, we're flooded. And you have how no idea how hard it was to find like an authoritative document that said, here is the flood, you know, impact from Harvey. Like everybody had their own, but nobody wanted to share it because then they're all worried about, well, I don't want this to become authoritative. And then insurance companies are using this as, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so nobody wanted to like, so a lot of people made their own, but they didn't want to share it. And, uh, you know, having, having these systems that where we can go out and say, all right, officer in the field, put a pin where the flood line is at, at a certain date and time. And then we're able to do you know, analysis on that after the fact. And unfortunately, during Harvey, we weren't able to do that on any big wide scale. But now we have the tool set up ahead of time. So next time it happens, we can. Okay, great. And just a reminder, we did have Chris Delaney on the program months ago, and he works for Esri. And one of the things that he said that stuck, stood out to me that is he regularly goes to conferences, talks about the Esri product, and will have somebody come up to him and say, oh, we can't afford that. Mm-hmm. And then he'll say, well, does your city have the license? Right. Most of the time, he'll be able to find that the city has a, has a license and that the police department can get access to little to no cost Oh yeah. And into that. So if you're listening to this and you you don't have some of this GIS stuff uh, and you don't think your department can afford it, give your city planning uh, a call and see, see what they can do for you. Yeah. And if, if I could piggyback on that, Esri has developer accounts. And so it's, it's for your own personal use. So if you just want to learn the tools and, and, and that's something I did when I was, when I was first starting is I would download a data set um, from my side and just, just to learn how to use the tools. You can, uh, they have free developer accounts where it comes with the full suite of online stuff. It's not going to have pro, they have student editions, but it doesn't, it doesn't come with pro, but it has all the stuff that you can do online. So you get the ability to make your own sites. You get access to survey one, two, three, to dashboards, story maps. Um, and you basically set up your own ArcGIS online account. So even from that perspective, learning how, that little process is uh, tricky the first time you do it. <laughs> and so learning how to do that is huge too, because it's, it mirrors very similar to the aesthetic. Cause I also have a, my own private business account too. It mirrors that process too. So if you are, say you want to stand up a, a you know, a one user enterprise in your department or, or whatnot. It's, you know, there, there is ways to do it where it's not a, a heavy cost burden, even just learning from a personal perspective. Okay, good. I do want to move on now because I, when I had Jim Mallard on earlier this year, he was talking about the civilianization yes. of crime analysis at Houston Police Department. There's hundred analysts there at at HPD, and a big portion of them are sworn officers. Correct. So what he meant by that is the slowly uh, civilianizing that he made the case of why to the police department, why they should civilianize these crime analysis positions. So you being a sworn officer, knowing crime analysis, 
I wanted to at least talk a little bit about your perspective on this and just to get your take on the topic. Yeah, for sure. So that kind of process was started by our, our, our commander that used to be at crime analysis. He's since moved on to a different division, but his name is John Zara. And he, he, he's the one that brought in Jim and I don't know who, you know, the chicken and the egg with regards to the two of them on who was really <laughs> pushing that, but they both came to the agreement and I, and I completely agree. So within HPD, and it's something I've loved about HPD is, but there's a, there's a ton of opportunity for movement. And so an officer who, you know, he's on patrol and then a divisional level crime analysis spot comes open, he'll go to that because it's, it's a way to get off the streets. They'll learn new stuff. They're, they're not in the calls for service. You know, they're not getting, they're not missing sleep all the time because they're working <laughs> night shift and all that stuff. So it has a lot of benefits, but these people aren't, these officers aren't people who wanted to be crime analysts, you know, from the get go. These aren't people who have been professionally trained to be crime analysts. And not to say that we don't, we have some really good officers who do a really good analysis work, but you know, when you get somebody in there, that that's their, that's their passion. That's what they want to do. That's what they've been trained to do that. They, they understand the key concepts. You just hit the ground running faster. You know, you're able to, you're able to get, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm apprehensive to say better work, but you're, you're able to get a higher, maybe higher level of technical capabilities than you would with most officers who fill those roles. Now, one of the problems HPD had, and I don't know if Jim talked on it or not, but, you know, within HPD, we had a really lack of career progression for a long time. You know, we had mm-hmm. one level criminal intel analyst. And that was pretty much it, unless you became Jim and you were a manager, but most of them were stuck at that one level. And then, so what would happen is our analysts would stay for two or three years, get HPD on the resume, you know, get some cool projects in their belt, and then they would go on to uh, private sector. And so what, the, what Jim has been pushing, and now our new commander has kind of taken that, uh, well, the new commander of crime analysis has kind of taken that um, the rollover is pushing towards creating more advancement, hiring higher level roles. Analysts stay for a while, can move up. You know, I, I personally think it is. I think it's a great idea. You know, I within HPD, we've had a lot of positions because, you know, city budgets go up and down. And then when that happens, it's always been in the past. The first people to go are the, the civilian staff. Mm-hmm. You know, within a law enforcement agency, the, the, the core of what you do is provide law enforcement services. And so... It, and we're, we're working on that too, but it's always seemed like the analysts were, you know, the first, last in, first out, whenever, whenever issues came up with the budget. So we're trying to fix that to where that's not the case. We're trying to get more buy-in. And, you know, my argument is, is that if you get more civilian analysts, we call them civilians, but, you know, non-sworn, you get more people who are professionally trained in this, you can put the officers who are in that spot back on the streets. So then you're solving, you're really solving two problems. You're getting a higher quality or higher trained, I guess, level of anal- analysis done. And you're putting more officers back doing police work. So I think it's a win-win personally. Personally, I've also been lucky to be able to go in these roles. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we should do this now that I'm not in those positions anymore. But, <laughs> yeah. well, but you know, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I was hoping that you would disagree with them. So, I mean, geez. Well, you didn't I mean, I can, I can go both ways. Well, no, I, I think overall it's the good thing. I think there is there is a benefit to having officers in those roles, especially if you're talking tactical analysis, you know, because it's hard to understand what drives crime uh, if you've never been out. And I guess it's not hard. I mean, you can do it from an educate, you know, a, a theoretical standpoint. You can understand 
you know, crime prevention through environmental design and crime drivers and all that stuff. But, you know, if, if, if somebody's telling me there's an area over where I used to work is high crime, I can tell you exactly why, whether it's the apartment complex across the street, I'm not guessing, you know, I'm not having to do mm-hmm. analysis where I can tell you where the dope dealer is, you know, and, and, and who's driving the robberies and what the gang is in that area. So there is a huge benefit, I think, of having officers involved in that process. And even, and even to back to the point that I was talking about before of, you know, knowing that, crime by shift but those are things you can teach but i think there is there is a benefit of having i don't think that it should be completely civilianized i think to me the best thing would be like a hybrid model if i was if i was saying i would want a crime analyst paired up with an officer analyst that was you know at the divisional level anyway that are that are trying to drive more the tactical stuff i think that that could be really successful on the strategic stuff i mean if you're doing high level crime trends and and just answering questions on from a from a higher level. I don't know. I don't think you need officers perspective on those things as much. All right, good deal. So I, I do want to finish up with personal interests because you have a side business yeah. where you are coordinating the extra jobs that officers can get in the private sector. Correct. And we, we call these details. That's gotcha. how I knew them. But yeah. it's it's essentially a private business wanting to hire an officer for added security. And you'll see these, if you have any sports teams, all those officers that are directing uh, traffic or doing any kind of security at the ballpark, that's what an example of this. First, I, I, I always laugh when I hear something about some of this stuff, because it's like, well, why doesn't the business just hire private security instead of hiring an officer? Or why not just have the city do it instead of having someone privately pay for it. So I want to start there. And then I I do eventually want to get into exactly what your business does and and how it creates a solution for this. Okay. What happens is, is that to the first, to the question of why, why officers rather than security. So, you know, officers, there's pluses and minuses to, to both, you know, as police officers, at least with, within our department, can't enforce what we call house rules. We can't say, you know, you can't be, I'll use an apartment complex. I can't say get out of the pool. The pool's closed at 10. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, we are only allowed to enforce laws, but to that effect, we are able to enforce the laws and we have all of the authority that comes with being a police officer. So, you know, if a security officer's there and he's trying to arrest somebody there, they can do it, but then they're going to have to wait and they're going to have to, you know, sit with us almost like a loss prevention at, at a mall, you know, they can't process all of it. So a lot of times they'll, they'll, They'll hire officers because of a the higher level of I would say training. It comes with the liability is usually on the officer rather than on the you know if you're hiring a security company you have to worry about you know insurance and things like that which I know a lot of those firms also do and I, I always just say it's the, the it's the quality you know you, you kind of get what you pay for not there are some there are some private security firms that are phenomenal but you know most of the time your officer is going to be trained they're going to understand how to handle situations, and they're going to be governed by their own rules. So, you know, our officers, I think we use, we have all this training in de-escalation and use of force and things like that. And so even, even within Houston, I mean, there's some jobs that are like HPD only, and some of them are constables. And then, you know, I mean, there's, there's even different levels that go into that. And so the reason, you know, officers, of course, work them is because it's, uh, you know, additional income and whatnot. (laughs) It's, it's usually, you know, contracted just straight to them, to the, the, and, and, you know, the city really can't provide, unless you were to expand law enforcement by a large amount, 
the city really, especially with Houston, you know, you're, you're not going to have an officer there all the time. And priority calls are always going to take take precedent. You know, if, if you have a trespasser at your business, that's going to get answered much, you know, later than all the robberies that are happening and, you know, major accidents on the freeway and, you know, assaults that are happening in progress. So in Houston, you know, if you're, if it's a low priority call, you could be waiting up to an hour, you know, for an officer to get there, depending on what it is, you know, an alarm of a business that went off before. I mean, some, some of the response times, you know, in busy times, you know, during the summer. So it's having the officer there on duty that can enforce the, the law. And, and, and some people also like the, the presence, you know, I, most of the extra jobs that I work and coordinate are for night, uh, apartment complexes that have a little bit higher rent, but they might have a crime problem, you know, creeping into their area. They have fraud and stuff like that. So they'll bring us in to help do the investigations with regards to fraud. They'll have us come in and do patrols at night and look for trespassers. And, you know, so, and we have, you know, coordinating with the officers, we have a little bit more ability to, if the officer's not pulling their weight or if the officer isn't you know, doing what they're supposed to, we can find another officer. Well, with a security firm, you know, you're going to have to find a different security firm or. And a, and a security firm can't direct traffic, right? So it's, it's uh, on, on get... a street could you, or, or could they? So within Houston, I don't actually 100% know the rules on that, mm-hmm. but I mean, we have, we have HPD has civ- civilian employees that are trained on on that. Oh, okay. And if you think about it, like, uh, I, I think there's just some type of test you have to get. Because if you think about like a construction site, they'll have people that are directing traffic for mm-hmm. you know, flow of, you know, if they're backing out a, a big truck onto the street or something like that, they'll close lanes. So I think you can. It's, you know, it's just, it's again, it's the higher level. If somebody disregards them, you know, a, <laughs> a security officer, you know, it's kind of like, what are you going to do? If somebody disregards a police officer, well, the consequence could be jail or tickets, you know? So it's, yeah. it's just the higher level of, of consequence if you don't listen, I guess. Yeah. And more officers, if it actually, like, correct. Know, if yeah, it goes, something goes wrong, wrong <laughs> further wrong. Yeah. Here know. comes the cavalry. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So then let's talk about your, your business then. And so what does your business do? How does it help the situation? So, yeah, I, I, I use the Esri suite and I have my own personal business account through Esri where I mainly use it for the same thing as we do within the police department is crowdsourcing what the officers are doing. So I officers, most of mine, again, are apartments. And so they'll work a shift and they'll report it through one of the smart forms as far as what their activities were that night. They'll upload any pictures. And then I have an automated report that's able to be sent to management explaining what happens on a weekly basis. And then I have a, a an access database that's tied into the, 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 the data that allows me to do automated billing. So really my business is, and, and, and then I also, because of the, the details I've worked, I've made a lot of uh, contacts with officers that are on proactive units. So we're able to get more experienced officers to go to these patrol operations that are, that are experienced in detecting and deterring crime. And I'm able to save the businesses money on the, on the back end from automated processing of reporting and billing and things like that. So that's, that's where kind of my side comes in. And then there's a couple other officers that I, I, so basically I kind of take over like the IT side of stuff. I, I help Mm -hmm. out with a couple other officers that I've just, I do their billing for them and I do their reporting. So, and then some of them I'll coordinate myself. So that's really the, the, the GIS software has just been able to allow me to create these like automated reporting systems that they haven't seen before. And I've even, I've showed some places, you know, the, the ability for their residents to provide, you know, tips or, or contact us or even send tips to the, their local division because all the Esri software works together. So I'm able to tap into that. Uh, you know, I can feed that to the 
the divisional analysts to show them, okay, here's some of the stuff that we've been seeing at this apartment. So it also increases, you know, awareness on the the police side as well on what's going on in a place. Yeah. So that, that is interesting. So I, I know when I was at Cincinnati police department uh, dealing with some of the landlords, mm-hmm. you know, they would use the excuse, well, you can't hold me accountable. I don't even know what goes on at my <laughs> yeah. establishment. And then, so we had to literally give them the data on calls for service and make sure mm-hmm. that they had access to that. So that would be a, a one way that, you know, you talked about the reports nightly that you can get back to the, to the client, the landlords yeah. there. So they know exactly what happened uh, at their properties the night before. Correct. And, and most of the apartments that I work for are not trouble apartments. You know, they're not places that are having a severe crime problem. They're places that are nicer that have had a recent crime problem. And so they're trying to like not let it get out of hand. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times the group that I work with will come in and kind of do a really heavy cleanup, a heavy police presence. To... So for example, we had one apartment. It's like the one bedroom was like 2000 a month, but they had a murder there and mm-hmm. it happened. Like, it was like a drug deal gone bad. And the, you know, they turned out they had a lot of fraudulent applications and people living there that were not on the lease. And so it was kind of like a cleanup on that aspect is coming in there and helping them get a grasp on the problem before it became bigger. Because when that, something like that happens, you know, the normal tenants are like, I'm out of here. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a murder and somebody's dragged through the building. You're like, no, nah, uh, I think I'll find a different apartment for yeah. 2000 a month. You know, <laughs> Exactly. All right. Well, our last segment of the show is words to the world. And this is where I give the guests the last word. Okay. Freddie, you can promote any idea that you wish, but what are your words to the world? So my words to the world, and um, I don't know where I really heard it, but it was, it's an idea that wasn't mine initially, but I, I champion it heavily is for an analyst to get out from behind your desk. You've got to get out there, see the problems that are happening. You have a unique set of skills that a lot of people in police departments or even just public sector, I mean, uh, government work don't have, you know, the, the IT side. A lot of people just have a hard time understanding how data works, how, how data interacts with other sets of data. So you got to get out there. You've got to, you've got to start talking to people, try to figure out what their problems are and be the, be the solution to that. Because yeah, you can sit there and do your standard reports every day and it, it Sure, it justifies your job. And maybe you're doing reports that you've done because the last person did it. But until you get out there and find out what people are really trying to solve, you're you're gonna have trouble making the impact. And once you do that, once you start making solving people's problems, the the buy-in goes really fast. You know, once you once you've automated somebody's workflow, when you save off a, a day of work for somebody, they become mm-hmm. a you know a fan of yours for forever. So that's that's always what I tell people is don't just get stuck in the mundane. Don't you just get stuck in the day-to-day. Get out there, find problems that you have a set of skills to fix and, and fix them. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. Yeah. <laughs> but I do appreciate you being on the show, Freddie. Thank you yeah. so much and you be safe. Thanks for having me. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.